0: Welcome to the Cedar Fork Come Follow Me Made Easier podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cherry. This week, we have the opportunity of studying Genesis 28 through 33 with our teacher, Lori Denning. Lori is the author of the book, Real Heroes of the Old Testament. And this week, she illustrates her great strength in being able to look at scripture stories from different perspectives and specifically how we can see real people making real changes in their lives. This week, she will retell the story of Jacob and Esau from a totally different perspective, helping us to see why it's so important to continue studying the scriptures, and how that each time we do study the scriptures, there are new principles for us to discover. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe link below and the bell next to it so that you can receive an email letting you know each time a new podcast has been posted. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Linda. Um, Welcome back. Uh, Remember, I am Lori and we are headed into Genesis 28 through 33. And this is one of my absolute favorite stories. And I'm so glad I got picked to tell it because it's the story of Jacob. Let's jump in. So I wanna do a couple of things today to kind of help us structure this. There's a lot of material and we're gonna go through a lot of things. And even though you're studying this on your own, we still won't be able to get to all the exciting uh, story, themes, context, and application that we're gonna find. So here's what I'd like to do. I wanna go through a little bit of the where we've been before. So I know Linda did that last week and she did an excellent job, but we're gonna to just touch base a little bit on that just as we jump back into Jacob. Second part, Uh, what I want to do is also do a little bit of the context and how to read some of these stories. So this is going to be really important to understand this story as well as most of the stories in the old Testament, but specifically the narratives or the stories about people that are just telling the story. And then, then we'll jump into each one. So as we jump into the third part, each part of story, each one, what we'll do is we'll uh, take a few of these key, uh, parts of the story in 28 through 33 of Genesis and we'll talk about them and we'll break some of the big key events out. Now I won't be able to get to all of them so we'll touch on each one and as we do it I'll stop and I'll kind of comment on a few of the key items that we think. Here are a couple things that I want you to do if that's what we do. Uh, What's happened before, some of the context and structure, and thirdly some of these key events and stories we'll go through. Here's what I want you to do. What I'd like you to do is I want you to be thinking about how does this to apply to me? How do I make this alive in my life today? Because scripture is really powerful by itself and it's even more powerful when we apply it in our own lives. And even though these are probably stories that you've heard perhaps over and over and over again, you're at a different place in your life today than you were probably the last time you read it. And so you're a different person. So whatever you bring to it, maybe new experiences, maybe new perspectives, uh, those things can resonate with you. Then you can see those in the scripture. So the scripture becomes eternally powerful to change and apply in our lives because we can change too. So I want you to be asking yourself, so what, how do I apply this today? Okay. So, I'm not gonna ask you to put that in the comments, but you could, but you could say, hey, here's how this kind of applied to me, all right? Also, just a note. So I'm gonna share a couple of things that are common viewpoints in both Jewish thought and contemporary Christian thought on some of these scriptures. They might be a little bit different than what you have thought before. And just like my last point that there are different applications, these might be different. So I'm just telling you up front, I I might show you a few things you haven't seen before in the story of Jacob. Okay. One, two, three, let's jump in. Jacob is one of my favorites. Um, Jacob is a twin and I'm a twin. So if you've uh, met my twin, this is what she looks like. Ha ha, I know. But my twin uh, and I have gotten in a lot of trouble. And so the story of Esau and Jacob resonates with me. I, I love the story Jacob though, because it is a story of redemption and salvation. So while all scripture has something to do with the savior, This one is especially true, that we really see the story of the role of the Savior in Jacob's life. And it's kind of this undercurrent. It's kind of uh, something that's there that you might not have seen that was there all along. And I love that because I think that's so often how our lives go, that the Savior's there to help save and redeem us, make us better people if we turn to him. But sometimes we might not notice that he was there until later when something happens. And so that's what really resonates with me, that I think I'm a little bit more like Jacob than I should be. So there you go. All right. So that's my favorite story. Yay, Jacob. So let's jump in. Uh, Number one, let's say what's gone on before. So we're headed into chapter 28. So as you remember, the book of Genesis is really part of the first five books of Moses. They're really one book. And so one way that uh, Hebrew uh, scholars call it is it's a fifth of the Torah, a fifth of the, the the law, fifth of the instruction. So this is the first part. So it's really part of one big, big story, not just Genesis, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth part. It's just a fifth, a uh, 20%. So it's just this little section. So it's part of this big overarching story that's been carefully crafted to teach us things. Now, when we go out to Uh, Moses and some of the other uh, revelations as well, they continue to add to that. So it's this really rich and dense story. I think that's important because when we see where it's set, we see how it's kind of formulated, we remember this is a a part of a bigger overarching story. The first part of Genesis chapters one through 11, traditionally are kind of the big picture view or the cosmological view, which we've talked about. So big picture stuff. So the fall, the creation, um, big civilizations, how things start, right? You see Noah and all that that we did uh, just a few weeks ago. That's the big picture. Then we're zooming in on a family from chapters 12 through 50 of Genesis. And we're right in the middle, we're at 28. So we're right in the middle of that, the zooming in to a story. So we're going to see some of the same themes and same ideas that we're taught, the fall taking something that we shouldn't until we were offered, the Lord having a way to redeem us, the same themes are going to be visible in the story of Jacob and his family. And so I just want you to remember that that while we zoom in on the story of a family, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, and now Jacob and his family, Rachel, Leah, etc., they're going to be doing some of the same things. So as you think about those stories, one good practice that we're supposed to, we should do uh, is that we take stories that are similar and we say, that's kind of similar to a story I've heard before. Um, And we lay them next to each other, side by side, and we kind of compare and contrast. And I think the scriptural authors are trying to tell us to say, I'm trying to point out something here, you guys, how is this different? How is it the same? What in the story about Jacob is similar to the story of Abraham or the story of Isaac or the story of Joseph that we're going to hit next? How is he the same? How is he different? How did the Lord work with him? And we'll see that sometimes they're the opposite and sometimes they're the same. So you're going to see this repetitive themes from the beginning of Genesis, repeated and repeated stories and similar life events in Genesis these patriarchs and matriarchs or the ancestors we call them okay so there's a little bit of kind of our backstory when we meet jacob jacob's a twin and we've already uh, linda did such a good job on that but uh his uh older brother is esau now here is a pro tip um one that i love sharing with my students and here it is so hold on because you're going to love this one When we read stories or see stories today, we do a lot of backstory. We say the motivations of the character, how they grew up, why they do what they do. Ancient scripture isn't like that, is it? We kind of jump in and they'll just be a person. In this case, Jacob and Esau are just born into the story. We don't always know what they're like, what their personalities are too much. And a lot of times we don't have much physical description, right? So while we in current days tell a lot of what motivates a character and where they came from, I mean, there are entire movies that are like prequels, right? That will tell you how these people came up. Now I realize those are usually fictional stories, but we're used to telling stories like that. So even if I tell you a story about my mission or somewhere, I tell you all this backstory, right? They didn't do that. They just popped in, but they did have, and this is the secret key. They did have a way to teach you about the characters that, you're supposed to pick up on, but it's one that kind of eludes us because it's not the way we do it. And here's the key. It's the meaning of their names. That's right, the meaning of their names often tell you something important about the character. You see, names weren't just a cool sound that we called someone, um, like sometimes how we name people today, but they are something meaningful about the character of the person. It could be what uh, their true divine potential could be. The meaning of their name is really somewhere in their soul, really what they are. And it could also be something aspirational. If they turn to the Lord, this is what they could become right? So that name is something really, if they only became, it could also be something that they're hoping uh, maybe the parents or the family is hoping. So uh, if you want to know something about the characters, we're going to be introduced to their names and their names are going to give us clues into what we're trying to say about them. The same thing holds true for places. So if you're like, Hey, I don't know what this place name is. Google it. And when you Google it, you'll find out, Hey, what's the meaning of the, this name in Hebrew or Greek. Um, and it will tell you. So let's go through Esau and Jacob, because this is going to be really important to the story. And it's one of the main themes that's going to carry through not only this story of Jacob, but all the way the, through the Joseph story. So you're going to see it go through multiple generations and including Jacob's wives, something that happens in this first act of Jacob and Esau is going to carry through his family and his family's family. So it's important to know, and that's the name of it. That's the meaning of his name. So when he's born, he's born second. His brother Esau is born first. And recall Linda said that uh, Esau means kind of ruddy or red and hairy. So he's um, a little, if you think like a little squalling baby, right, he's kind of uh, matted first. I think of Esau just, ah, it's a little screaming red baby. So the name Esau means hairy or kind of, um, later you see Edomites red, um, and they lived out in the red rocks or whatever. So his name is something like that. So you're like, well, it's just describing his personal attribute. Here's tip number two. Not only does the name mean something, but if they tell you a physical attribute, they were tall, they were fat, they were, um, red, they were hairy, they were smooth skinned. That is going to be critical in the story. And that is exactly true in this. So when Esau is born, he is red and hairy. And Jacob is smooth skinned, it says he's smooth skinned. So we're gonna learn something about their personalities. When Esau later comes and he's hunting, and he's a hunter, right? So he's out hunting, he's like alpha male. So Esau's out hunting and he is the favorite son. Right, uh, Isaac just loves him, um, and there's nothing wrong with hunting. But let me describe how the story goes. There's the two brothers. One is named Red and Harry, and the other one's named Smooth Skin. And the Smooth Skin one likes to stay at home in the tents, and the red-haired one likes to go hunting. And then the red hunting one is out hunting, and he comes back starving. And there's this uh, bowl of lentil stew, pottage, or whatever, and it's even red. So this red is just so e It's He's just red, red, and. and He's kind of animalistic. So when he comes to get that uh, pottage, the stew, he's like, I'm starving. I need it. And his words even are like, I got it. I eat it. And he's like, so he's very animalistic. So that furriness, his hairiness and his, he's hunting beasts. He eats like a beast. He marries outside the covenant. I just am without control. I'm just passion. I'm just full of passions. That's Esau. So Esau, the character of Esau, we're, if, if you don't read the story like an ancient Hebrew would have, and I'm kind of interpreting it, right? I'm animalistic. I'm eating. I, we're, give me the thing and hunting. We're killing stuff. Arr! That's Esau. Then we meet Jacob. Now Jacob's name, it says he's smooth skinned. And we would probably say something like a smooth talker, right? So he is not as animalistic. He's He's more a stay at home. He stays in the tents. So he's more of a scripture nerd or something, right? He's a little nerdier. Um, and his name, what does Jacob mean? Well, Jacob's name means, uh, as Linda pointed out, usurper. But it literally means heel grabber. So remember they were twins. So as baby number one, Esau comes out, Jacob's grabbing onto his heel. So his name means like the guy who trips you up, like tr- heel tripper, heel grabber. Um, someone that deceives you. Now you're like, Lori, he's Jacob this is a patriarch. This is the one that's going to receive the covenant. He can't be a deceiver. Well, in this first part of the story, he kind of is right. And just like Linda showed us, he and Rebecca kind of contrive to get this birthright. Now, maybe it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. They were promised it, but did they really need to do it to enact it? They fool their father, the blind father. So, Another physical attribute that you see with Isaac, they tell you he's blind because it's going to be a key part of the story. And they tell you that um, Jacob is smooth skinned. So when they cover him in this goat hair, when he feels him, uh, Jacob feels or Isaac feels Jacob, he feels the furriness that he thinks is, you know, animalistic Esau. And so these important points come out. They're fooling him. So his name is kind of deceiver. Um, and then even this name goes on, this idea of the father of the family is kind of having some deception is going to continue. We're going to see it even referenced by the savior. So when the savior first meets Nathaniel, right in the beginning of the gospels, um, he sees Nathaniel and he says, there's an in Israelite in whom there's no deception. And remember, Jacob's name is going to be called Israel. So he's saying this beginning of maybe being a little sneaky is not going to continue anymore with that Israelite, um, Nathaniel. So he's exactly referencing this story of Jacob being Israel and Israel kind of having this um, goofy beginning. And then, but Nathaniel isn't going to be that anymore. This new, uh, fresh take on the 12 tribes with one of them being Nathaniel will have less deception. Uh, If that makes you uncomfortable, that's okay, because you'll see the story continue. In fact, you're going to see the story continue. And this is one of the things that Jacob is going to have to get over in his life. So in the first act, we are introduced to him with this idea of a little bit of deception. Um, And maybe it was the right thing to do, but it does seem kind of weird, right? So he And his name's that, so we're like, yeah. Additionally, you're going to see that deception ricochet out into his family. So in the first act, uh, Jacob's life kind of takes place in three acts. The first act, this stay at home part. The second act, we're just starting today. And then the third act, um, when he returns to Canaan or the promised land. So we're just starting in the middle of the second and we'll start kind of that third act. But his life kind of goes through these three phases. As he goes into the second phase where he's fleeing for his life, Esau is going to kill him. It says, so he flees and he flees for his life and he has to go find a wife. Don't find them here. So he goes back uh, to his uncle's house to find Leah and Rachel. He's deceived. Remember that his father-in-law deceives him for the, uh, he wants to marry Rachel. He works seven years and then he's fooled. He's deceived by, uh, by his father-in-law. And, and marries Leah without realizing it. And then the next day, you know, has to work seven more years, but marries Rachel the next day. And so he, this deception, the one who was the deceiver is now deceived. Additionally, then even his sons, uh, the 12 tribes sons, they deceive him. Remember he gets older, he loves Joseph, and then how they plan to kill Joseph, they decide not to and sell him and they bring back what to prove that Joseph was killed by an animal? They take a goat. What was the thing that Joseph or Jacob used? They cooked a goat to make it taste like venison and they covered him in goat hair. So we're supposed to tie these thematic elements together to go, oh, Jacob is going to be deceived by his sons, kind of like he was. So there's this theme that deception kind of carries through and ricochets through our lives, hurts us and the people, uh, our children and their children as well. So Jacob's going to go through a fair bout of repentance and we're gonna see that in the next two phases of his life. So that's where we've been. We've been in a place where we've kind of set up that Jacob, although seems worthy and does receive the birthright honestly, he kind of goes through this sneaky thing and they call him deceiver, right? So you're like, "Mm, weird. Um, And so we should take some messages from that. I think what applications do you see? Well, first, I think that when the Lord promises something, he can, we can stand by that promise. We don't need to make it happen, right? We can just trust it. So this act of deception, uh, we should trust the Lord. We don't need to force his hand. But when we do make mistakes, just like Jacob, the Lord still loves us. The Lord still loves Rebecca. Um, And I I love that because I think that while Jacob does receive the blessing and he is a very righteous guy, he's not a perfect guy. And I love that because I'm not a perfect gal. So I love that these are stories of real people and the Lord is still by their side as they have good desires and good hopes to gain um, salvation uh, and and qualify for those things and be perfected in Christ. I think that is important that they are not perfect and they're nice, so I like that story about Jacob. As we enter his second phase, the second step, where we are now, um, he's fleeing for his life, he's going to leave Canaan and he's gonna go out to, again, his his uh, place where his mother Rebecca was from and he's gonna go meet his uncle and, and marry into that family. So he's out there for quite a long time. Um, when he goes, there's this first event. It's a super key event that happens in uh, Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, he is fleeing. And I want you to watch another theme for Jacob specifically. And that's light and darkness. So as he's leaving, it becomes night. So if you can imagine Jacob, who's grown up with this family, he's been protected, uh, Isaac is really wealthy, by the way. Some stories about Isaac um, being a very quiet man um, and yet he's a very powerful man. And so there are some other tribes that want his property and he says he's very powerful. And, but instead of warring with them, he just moves and he digs new wells. So we don't often think of Isaac being really powerful, but he's wealthy, he's powerful, and he's very meek. He keeps all that power and control. That's where Jacob had grown up and so now he's leaving for his life. He's fleeing to a place he's never been to before and he's on his own and it's night. So you can almost feel this theme, the darkness, the whoa, what just happened is falling on his life. So he is kind of going through this moment of uh, reflection. I I think it's a little bit of repentance like, whoa, this this might not have worked out so great. I'm kind of banished from my home and my brother wants to kill me. Um, and he obviously had to flee, he felt that was very real. He flees, he goes out into darkness that night and he's alone and it says that he lays down and he has a vision. Now next to him it has this interesting story where he has this stone and he either, like his back's up against the rock or his head to kind of protect it or um, something like that because he's gonna use this stone, very large stone later to kind of consecrate this area of this, this next event. And the next event is he has a vision or dream. So it's night and here he is in this. You just imagine kind of the darkness, the I'm fleeing for my life. I'm all alone. I'm away from my family. My brother wants to kill me. What just happened? And yet I have just received the blessings of the covenant, the thing that I wanted most in life. Uh, so this is a very uh, confusing time or a very emotional time. He lays down to sleep. He has this vision. And on the vision, he sees what we call Jacob's ladder. Um, scholars de- debate what it is. They think it might actually, instead of a ladder, like a ramp, like a kind of a, a ziggurat, uh, kind of a tower. And he sees on this angels coming down out of heaven and angels going up. And then on the top, he sees a vision of the Lord himself. And this is, uh, this is what he says. I'm in uh, verse... I'm uh, 12. So I'm just going to read from verse 12 on in 28, Genesis 28. Uh, Speaking of Jacob, and he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I, uh, different translation, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you amazing promises. He sees the Lord and the Lord reestablishes that covenant. I'm the same God of Abraham and Isaac, the covenant of him. I'm going to give you this land. I am going to also bless that you'll have a family. So you'll come back here. But I love this part. I will be with you and I am with you. Um, And then I love that. Know that I am with you and I will keep you wherever you, you go. The Lord's with him. Jacob wakes up from sleep. <clears throat> and he says, surely the Lord is here. Like, I, here I am sleeping in the middle of nowhere, and, uh, and the Lord is here all along. Then he says, um, I didn't know it. Like, I had no idea that God was here. <clears throat> and it says he was afraid, or he was um, awestruck. And he said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So one of the first big keys in this big story of Jacob's life is not only a vision that he sees, that earth and heaven are really kind of together um, all along. He sees this this gate of heaven, this uh, this ladder, this ramp, and angels coming up and down, the Lord up there, but he sees that it was just right there all along. What an important message for us that the Lord sometimes is right next to us, even when we don 't realize it, that heaven and earth are closer together than maybe we think. I kind of think of like a hot spot, like a little um area where the veil's very thin, and maybe it's thinner in a lot more places than we think, and he's certainly amazed by that. I didn't know that the Lord was just here. Remember, he's lived his life probably believing in the Lord, but he's never really had an experience. And now he's seeing that it was there. And he says, surely this place is amazing. And he names it Beth El. And Beth El is, uh, El is God in Hebrew. And so Beth is Beit. So house of God. It's the house of God. <laughs> it's the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet. Exactly what he describes. And then um, he said, and it's the gate of of heaven, it's just the way to get in. It's just right here, beautiful, beautiful promise. So the name of it tells us about this temple experience. I think it also tells us that God is sometimes closer to us than we think, and that heaven and earth are not so separated um, as we may believe. You know, it's not way out there somewhere else, but it's right here next to us. And the Lord is there, and He's promising those of us who help, uh, who meet Him in that covenant, He's offering that covenant to us as well. I will be with you. Even sometimes when you don't see me, I'm there with you. Beautiful story. So he gets up in the morning, he um, sanctifies the stone. And if you notice the words, he'll use the exact same words, right? So he says he took the, took the stone, then he put under his head for the pillar and he pulls the oil on top of it. So it's kind of a little temple or kind of a little Lord. So the, um, the oil goes on top, which is the top of where the Lord was on that ladder. So you kind of see the three ideas like up here, down here. Anyway, so that's what this anointing is of the stone. So he sets up this shrine, kind of a little temple site, right? Like, Hey, this was the space. This was the space. Now this is phase two of his life, right? He's going from this time of potentially darkness and being kicked out of his family, uh, for this, this event with his brother to now going, wow. Now with the covenant, now with the power of the Lord behind me, I have a bright future. And then he continues on. So he heads out. He heads out to meet his father-in-law. <clears throat> and that's the story uh, that I won't repeat in detail, but a beautiful story as well um, of him meeting his, uh, Rachel, who he, who he falls in love with. And then he is, remember we already talked about it, deceived with Leia. And then we have one of our other themes. And that is the theme of sibling rivalry. So this is a really big theme in the old Testament and you're going to see it a lot in Genesis. It starts with Cain and Abel. And so you're like, wow, those brothers don't always get along. And then we just left another story, right? Of, um, Jacob and Esau siblings who don't always get along. And then we're going to see the two sisters. So it's not just the boys in the family, but it's the sisters in the family too, Leah and Rachel, who don't always get along. Um, Why do you think the Lord is spending so much time in scripture to tell us about family relationships and specifically about siblings? Why don't you put it in the comments down below and tell me why you think there are so many examples of sibling rivalry and family infighting in scripture, especially in the Old Testament. I think that one of the reasons that we hear about it is because it's one of the things we're going to be challenged with whether they're direct members of our family, like Leah and Rachel or Esau and Jacob, that we're going to have the most tension with the people we're closest to, the people that we love and grow up with. Additionally, though, we're gonna have problems with the greater human family, that some of our greatest contentions and loves are with those that we work with. So our brothers and sisters in the world are the ones we're gonna struggle. And it's one of the things that we need to work on in our walk in this with the savior, is to learn how to do better with those things. So you're like, hey, you're not alone. If you have uh, family issues, maybe it's uh, with your children, maybe it's with a sibling, whether it's with a parent, an in-law, you're not alone, they did too. Right. So it's one of the main issues. It causes a lot of fractures and problems. And so we're going to see it also with Leah and Rachel. In fact, they start having kids. Rachel can't seem to have any. And then Leah has a bunch and they have kind of this naming battle where they name their children. And that's where we start to get the 12 tribes because they're going to be the tribes of Israel. Jacob hasn't had his name changed, but they're his children. And that's where we get the 12 tribes from. So there they are. So the uh, sisters, Leah and Rachel, are going to be in this kind of battle. Here's another theme that you're going to see throughout scripture, and that is of a couple who cannot conceive. So think back. Are there any other stories so far of a couple who, for whatever reason, age or something else, are not able to have a child until God steps in? Are there any other stories? Yes, uh, there are a lot of them. So you might've thought of Abraham and Sarah. Remember that's where Isaac comes from, is that they can't have a child and uh, so it's a miracle when they do, right, with Isaac. So there's one, uh, one example. A second example is even Isaac himself. Isaac is quite a bit older than Rebecca. He doesn't have a wife. There's no one in the area that's worthy. And so it takes a long time for them to find Rebecca when the servant Eliezer goes and finds Rebecca. So he even starts out like, well, how will these promises of posterity and family happen when none of these people are having families? And then you have the story of Rachel, the, uh, Jacob's favorite wife, the one he loves, is the one that cannot have children. I always feel bad for Leah. So, sorry, Leah. But I always feel bad. um, But why do we have so many stories about that? The the stories continue on. In fact, there are a lot more in the Old Testament. But think about the New Testament as well. Um, It starts out with the story of uh, in Luke of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're an old couple who can't have a baby and then they have a miracle baby, John, and it's reflecting back on this story. And then we have Mary, the mother of Jesus herself. She is, has a miracle baby. She doesn't even have a husband. So even though she's not old, she's not in a place where she could even have a child and yet she does. So this theme of parents not being able to have a child for whatever reason um, is common, right? And why? I think because it's showing that life and these great blessings, God is there. God is with us and he is the one that can make those things happen. So even when we turn to our lives and we say, how is this ever going to happen to me? It might, maybe it's children, maybe it's something else big in your life that you really desire or you have been promised by the Lord. And you're like, how is that going to happen? And you say, it happened for them and he was very aware and he made it happen. The Lord was involved and with them. Just like the promise that was made to Jacob, I am with you, right? He's with us. Even through those things that you think it's impossible, he can make life where there wasn't any life. What a beautiful promise that these promises of covenant faithfulness, the Lord will be faithful to the covenant that he's made with us. And one of them is that we will have posterity, right? And family. And so you say, yeah, that was true for them too. And they seem to have a really hard time getting there. So you're going to see this childless couple theme carry well, uh, carry as well. And you're probably thinking a few others, Hannah and some of those. Yeah. It happens a lot. Okay. All right. So he goes there, um, he is deceived by his uh, father-in-law. So that deception comes up and then his uh, wives deceive him as well. And then in fact, he finally says, I better get out of here. And so he decides to go back home to Canaan. And so he packs up his families. He's become very wealthy um, and has a lot of uh, herds and and things. And so they're going to pack up and they're going to travel back. Now, this is where we are going to enter the third section kind of the third act of Jacob's life and that is when he's returning as he's returning he gets word that Esau is coming now remember when he left decades ago excuse me he thought Esau was going to kill him and now Esau is a very mighty man as well and so (coughs) he's worried that they're going to kill he's going to kill him still um, and so he separates his family in two parts. So at least half of them can live. Can you imagine <laughs> taking all of your family and children and little kids and taking them and saying, well, half will survive if my brother doesn't kill us. I mean, this is, there's a lot of tension in, in this story, right? So he gets there, he sends his family on ahead. He sends them ahead and he, uh, Jacob, uh, goes across a river called the river Jabbok. It's kind of a play on words, Jacob Jabbok get it. So anyway, he goes across the river. And again, it's night uh, we're reaching night. He's going back into um, this scary time again in this third phase. And in there he has another dream. And in this dream, um, he wrestles an angel, right? It says it wrestles an angel and he wrestles the angel and he won't let go. And, he won't let go. And the angel plane says, let me go. He says, I won't let you go. And he says, well, give me your name. And he says, Oh, I won't give you my name. It's cause see, names are powerful. So the angel's like, no, I'm not going to give you my name, but I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to name you Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. And because you have prevailed, right? You will get that name. So the name Israel means he who wrestles or contends with God. Um, and so you've heard probably President Net Nelson, let God prevail. It's kind of the last part of that, that verse right there, that, um, that who, who lets God prevail in his life, who wrestles. You're going to see this theme of the Israelites continually holding on, just having to cling for blessings in their lives, struggle against themselves, against the, the actions around them and on and on. So he gets a new name. This is his covenant name. So you're going to see this theme as well, that names are given as a form of covenant to say this is his covenant name. So he is called Yisrael, and that's the name that will carry through for all of his children as well. They'll be part of the tribes of Yisrael, uh, he who wrestles with God because of this. So um, in fact, he wrestles with it, and it, it like dislocates his hip. And then there's this weird little, um, this is why we don't eat the sciatic nerve today because that's what happened to Jacob. So Jacob enters, dawn comes. So remember now it was dark. Now it's dawn. He's truly a new man. The man who left the promised land younger when it was dark has now changed. Um, any old problems that he'd had, deceptions, challenges in his life have been, uh, he's worked through them. And he's this new, repentant, uh, different man. He was always a good man, but we see that he's grown up and he's matured in the Lord. And he literally limps into the promised land and the dawn comes upon him. What a beautiful vision. The Lord, he needs this repentance. He needs these blessings and he holds on until he gets them. But he's also a humbled man. He limps, I love that. He limps into the promised land. Then he meets Esau and it works out pretty well so he's um um, he's very humble uh and and luckily he and Esau are able to reconcile that is the story of Jacob so we've had a couple of big things we've learned about kind of the background we've gone through some of the story and seen two of the key things the vision that he had when he left the promised land and when he returns the first vision when he sees Bethel, the house of the Lord, and realizing that covenant and the Lord is with him. And when he returns, how that wrestle, that struggle to continue to stay righteous is there. And he gains also this covenant name. Um, Brothers and sisters, this is a great story. I think this story can carry through to our lives for a long, long time. I think there are a lot of messages to be had here. I hope that you'll remember the challenge that I gave you at the beginning, that even though we went through kind of what went through before the structure and some of those key events and and how to read them, um, that there might be applications that you're taking away. I want you to jot those down. I want you to write them in your kind of scripture journal, spiritual journal and say, that's what the Lord is speaking to me about in these stories. Church is true, brothers and sisters. And I say that in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Love you guys Uh, hang in there keep up your studies, and if you have any questions put them down below See you next time